The Charlotte Ledger Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. Hey, it's Tony Messia with the Charlotte Ledger, and you're listening to the Charlotte Ledger Podcast. You can find out more about the Charlotte Ledger and subscribe to one of our newsletters by going to thecharlotteledger.com. And if you like this podcast, feel free to share it with a friend or give it a review or subscribe to it or follow it. We would appreciate it. I'm talking today with Jason Lewicki, who's the Director of Special Projects and Commercial Construction for general contracting firm Swinnerton in the Carolinas. Swinnerton is based in California, has regional offices in Charlotte, Raleigh, Atlanta, and many other cities, and it does all kinds of residential and commercial construction projects. Now, Jason lives in Charlotte. His expertise is in restaurant construction, and we're going to explore some of the trends in that area today. Jason, thanks for joining me. Yeah, Tony, thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. Well, I wanted to talk with you because it's no secret that restaurants are a hot topic in Charlotte. You know, we're a growing city. There's a lot of new restaurants, a lot of interest in new restaurants, a lot of media coverage of new restaurants. But you can't have new restaurants unless someone builds them or renovates them. And you and Swinnerton have a lot of knowledge about that. So I thought it'd be you know, good to get a little bit of a different perspective. It'd be good to sort of explore that perspective that you have. How is business? Business in general is great. The Carolinas, are, are it's a strong market, continues to be a hotbed of both commercial and hospitality construction, along with the multifamily. I think one plays off of the other, particularly the multifamily with the need for new restaurant and hospitality spots that we're seeing. So in general, business is really good. Well, great. You know, Swinnerton's one of the biggest general contractors of restaurants in the Carolinas. I mean, I, I think you all are working on a number of projects. STK, the steakhouse is going into Uptown Charlotte, you Chapter 6 in South End. I know you're working with Emmy Squared. I think people might be familiar with that, that chain. It's a pizza chain, makes square pizzas. I think you're working with them in Brightleaf Square in Durham. So how active is the restaurant market in Charlotte and in the Carolinas, you know, compared with other parts of the country? How do we stack up? Yeah, I would say we're, we're certainly leading the way. You know, the Carolinas, interestingly enough, I was reading an article this morning that we're either the number three or, or number four top state in the country for, for relocations. You know, and a lot of that relocation and influx has a lot to do with, you know, the, the resources that are needed to, to attract people, right? I mean, we've got, you know, tremendous attraction with, with our banking industry and the finance financial sectors and we've got, you know, great universities and we've got professional teams in sports. And one of the things we have the best of is a really low cost of living here in the Carolinas. So, you know, as people continue to to come and, and call Carolina their home, you know, the these are amenities that are that are required, right? And so it's really a broad perspective when it comes to just restaurants, right? So restaurants is kind of broad, right? So you've got fine dining, you've got casual dining, you've got breweries, you've got tap rooms. You've got specialty delis and bakeries. You've got, obviously, an influx of coffee joints all over town. So uh, it's just interesting how it's all coming together. And it's not particular to one area within Charlotte. Like, Charlotte is is expanding from, obviously, the Lake Norman area all the way down to Uptown and then Uptown all the way down through Ballantyne. And, you know, we're seeing pockets of, of, of explosion across the different quarters each and every year of different areas where the hospitality industries are going and it's exciting. It's exciting to work all over town. 
Yeah. What sort of trends are you seeing? I know you mentioned a few different segments of the industry. You know, there've been some talk, okay, you know, there's this move toward more fast casual, but you know, a lot of times when people think of eating out, they think of fine dining, as you mentioned, a lot of coffee shops. I mean, what, what are some of the the hot sectors in there? Or are they all just equally going like gangbusters all over the place? I mean, the easy answer would be they're all going like gangbusters. But I mean, you know, what we're seeing is a lot of that more non-fine dining, more communal outdoor gathering, you know, like chapter six out at the line, right? Right. It's a, it's a compliment to, to Sycamore Brewery's new location. And the vibe is just, it's just killer. Right. There's a lot of outdoor communal space. There's a lot of indoor area where if you wanted to have a, a little bit of a private dining experience, you could do it. But for the most part, we're seeing restaurants and, and communal eating areas that have open ceiling concepts, open kitchen concepts. So you could see what's going on in the, in the back of the house and potentially sit at a chef's table and get a, a bird's eye view of how your food's prepared. There's larger bar areas with with outdoor components to it. And the outdoor components, you know, it's not just an open door patio. They're tempered for both cold, wet, uh, hot. So the owners and in, in, in the hospitality sector are really doing a lot of thinking about, hey, I'm going to serve some really spectacular food here. How do I make the experience just as spectacular? So they're not just putting out tables and chairs anymore, man. They're really thinking about the design and it really takes a special contractor and partner to, to, to really make those visions come true. I'm guessing you've been in this industry a long time, I think more than 20 years or so, right? And yes, um, I'm guessing it wasn't always like that with, with restaurants. I mean, you are seeing a lot more of these sort of open, you know, open floor plans, a lot more focus on, you know, elegant design. I mean, how, how has all that changed since you've been in the industry? Sure. Good question. And, and interestingly enough, I guess I've been in the industry long enough where I'm, we're starting to do a good combination of first generational spaces where, you know, it's a new build and it's new inventory that comes on onto the market. But then there's also the renovation of older restaurants. And it, that is when it really becomes apparent about what it was 20 years ago versus what it is today. So 20 years ago, you know, if you think about some of the old steakhouses and you know, the sheetrock ceilings and the private dining areas, the dark wood, and it was really closed in and kind of like a speakeasy mentality where now it's kind of flipped on the end and it's really just wide open, no ceiling. So you've got great scale and a lot of it is an industrial feel. So it's, it's gone away from the, hey, we really need to put in closed ceilings and dim lights to kind of experience the food at a table in a private setting now it's more communal and it's more inviting to, to folks to you know not only have a table of like a four top but there's also these tables they put out that have you know 12 to 16 patrons and it's not necessarily all the same party it could be two then it could be four next to another two and it just becomes communal so it's, it's much more open the outdoor spaces have come inside most restaurants now are doing these roll-up garage doors to bring in those those outdoor elements. I mean, we have such great weather here in the Carolinas, pretty much nine months out of the year. So they're taking advantage of that. So it adds to the ambiance of the restaurant. So it's really shifted from that, you know, two martini lunch style steakhouse to more of the, you know, the casual seafood or or burger place, to be honest with you. Is that change? Is that because of people's changes in dining preferences? Is it driven by Instagram, you know, Instagram friendly sorts of things? Is it, 
is it really a, a younger generation that wants this? I mean, what's driving that change? You know, if, if, you, if you're asking my opinion, I think it's a combination, right? So the, the, the demographic of Charlotte is getting younger. There's an influx of, you know, young professionals. So they're, they're, they're looking at, hey, you know, and I've seen this in a few designs. And I remember I saw it, it was probably about three years ago when I first saw it. And I was like, hmm, wonder if that's going to catch on. But they're actually designing in social media uh, areas within the restaurants for, you know, influencers to do videos and snap selfies and, and, and capture the essence of the restaurant. And I'd never heard of that before, but I was like, man, what a powerful move that would be in order to reach out to a much larger, larger audience. So that was an interesting in trend, but I think it's just post COVID, man, people don't want to be stuck inside and they, they don't want to be isolated. So now it's more open outdoor communal dining and it's, it's just what they're looking for. And, and, and Charlotte is definitely answering the call. How are restaurants different than other construction projects? I mean, it, it seems like I know there's an evolution in it, everything, office, residential. But as far as what you do with restaurants in particular, how is that different than, you know, what you would do in a, a apartment complex or an office or, or some other type of commercial building? So I think there's a lot of similarities, right? It's it's still construction, but the way in which we construct and and the diversity of, of budget allocations is is a bit different, right? So in a traditional, say, tenant improvement or a, or a traditional office upfit, you know, your breakdown in 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 your budget might be seventy percent on you know fits and finishes and general construction. And then 30% on your mechanical systems like electrical and HVAC and plumbing. When you're into a restaurant, that, that MEP component certainly rises, right? So you've got as much as maybe 50% of your budget goes into your MEPs because you're, especially when you're doing a full-on kitchen, you know, the, the, the belly of the beast in a restaurant is really the kitchen. People have no idea unless they're in this business the complexity of building a restaurant is it's, it's incredible with the fresh air intakes, with the exhaust, with the increased code compliance that's required. You've got open fire, you've got ansel systems. Like it's just, it's a very intense component. It takes a lot of coordination. So the coordination on the mechanical side tends to be a bit elevated. The cost allocations are, are moved around a little bit differently, but really in general, I mean, it's, it's, it's still the same type of construction, except with a different focus. A lot more coordination, I think, goes into kitchen coordination on these larger, more complex restaurants than, than anybody would imagine. And then you would couple that with a brewery. You could think of a brewery and it's all its piping. I mean, it's, it's like doing an industrial plant within a hospitality restaurant as well. So those are even more complex. So it, again, it takes, a, it takes a specialized general contractor to understand that. And then you got to package it all together into an owner's budget and, and maximize their program. So a real key difference for me in the way that Swinerton does business, especially on the hospitality side, is that we tend to really be forward focused on the owner's budget and maximizing their program into that budget, right? So a lot of times it's not these big chains and hospitality groups that come into play. So a perfect example of that is, is John and Kim Dressler. Right. Yes, they are the owners of, of Rare Roots Hospitality, but they're they're a husband and wife and a family owned business that 
that opened up a single restaurant that spawned off into two, three, four. And, and now they've got, you know, six and we're working on Jones Bakery and, and a delicatessen in Midtown for them. And the deli is, mo- is modeled off of Meshuggana. I just like to say the word Meshuggana. So, you know, it's, it's, it's unique because as a, as a you know, Swinovan is a hundred percent employee owned company, right? That's a big differentiator as well, right? So our folks are empowered to think like they have their name over the door, the way that that our equity distribution works is is much different than a big corporate commercial general contractor. And, you know, our our, our folks tend to be a lot more passionate and, and collaborative. And that goes hand in hand with these smaller hospitality groups because their dollar is our dollar. And we're looking after it as good stewards and have a fiduciary responsibility to them that that really goes above and beyond. And I think that our owners see that and that's what attracts them to to do business with us. You talked a little bit about some of the design features to appeal to the customers. What are, are there sorts of things that the kitchen wants? Are, are there new amenities in the kitchen yeah. design and commercial kitchens that weren't there 10 years ago? What sort of what sort of design or what sort of considerations do you have when when you're dealing with that side of the house? So one of the interesting facts when I when I first started doing restaurants was to watch the dynamic between a general manager or an owner of a hospitality group and their head chef meld the idea of form and function into the drawings, right? So if you give uh, full ownership to a chef, you're going to have, you know, 70% of the space that you're renting a kitchen and 30% of it for seating. And when you let the GM do it, he wants 70% seating and 30% of the kitchen because of obvious economical reasons on how you make money in a restaurant. So it's been interesting to watch how how the the two internal parties work together. So you just um, take cues from them on that. You do you stay out. Do you stay neutral on that, or do you well, recommend you, something? Yeah, no. You you try to you try to let them work it out. But but the reality is is you know depending on what the distribution or what the food selections are going to be will depend on you know how many how many open fire grills do you need? How, you know, do you need a steamer? Do you need warmers do you need a pizza oven do you need like it depends on really what the menu is so you know a casual fish house might be much different than a steakhouse and a steakhouse will be much different than than a than a, than a pizza joint so it, it really depends on on what type of restaurant we're doing but for the most part you know it's it's a it's a 70 30 sometimes 80 20 split on front of the house and back of the house but like I mentioned earlier, you know, some of the, some of the trends are these open kitchen concepts. So, you know, everything is stainless steel and everything is super slick and looking and it's inviting to the eye. And, you know, years ago, you, you, you didn't, you didn't really see any of that. Like think about when, you know, we were probably about the same age when we were kids, you'd go to a restaurant. They made it a point to hide the kitchen. They made it a point to separate that from the, from the client experience. And now it's very much part of the client experience. Are restaurants nowadays getting smaller? I just think about some of these big restaurants that we have here in Charlotte. I think of Del Frisco's over in South Park. I've never understood. Sure. It's a huge, huge space how they fill that you know, high-end steakhouse. You know, the, the old Vivace at the Metropolitan yeah. that I think went out of business a couple of years ago. Are we seeing big restaurants like that anymore or are they getting a little smaller? No, I think they're being, you know, just like commercial space and 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 doing space planning and evaluations, right? I mean, I think the, the the hospitality end of the business has done the same thing. So they're maximizing their square footage. And again, it's it's the more that you can have seating, right? That 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 contributes to your revenue capture. Most of the restaurants we do are anywhere between 
on average, eight to 15,000 square feet. And again, that's the whole restaurant. That's public restrooms, that's kitchen, that's bar area. But I, I certainly have seen, so the first restaurant, uh, let me make sure I get this right. So the first restaurant I've ever done in Charlotte is Dressler's Midtown, so the, in the Metropolitan, which was actually, they were just finishing Vivace. It's funny that you mentioned. So Vivace was being built at the same time. And I want to say that that space is approximately 7,000 square feet. And we really haven't moved off the mark with most of our owners with five, seven, 8,000 square feet. The, the days of, of, you know, the, the double Eagle and Del Frisco's and even like steak 48, like I steak 48 is a pretty big restaurant. And again, their food spectacular, their delivery service is spectacular. But we're not seeing many of those anymore. We're seeing more of those midline. And then you're adding the outdoor component, right? So Vivace really didn't have any outdoor. Del Frisco's doesn't have any outdoor. Steak 48, I don't think, has any outdoor. Like those concepts, you know, we're not doing. Like the STK that we're building in Uptown, man, wait till you see that outdoor addition that's going to go on the outside there. Like the inside's going to be spectacular, right? DJ booths, enhanced, you know, low voltage audio systems, crazy architectural features, bullhorns coming out of the wall. It's going to be awesome. But their outside component is going to have its own separate bar, its own weight area. It's going to be just as equally of an experience, but you're going to be an out, outside, you know, uptown experience. So if you start adding that square footage in, yes, now you're starting to grow back to those larger. But the inside square footage, it's, it's to me, it's, it's very efficient right now. You mentioned price and cost earlier and, you know, the need to work with your clients on, on their budgets and make sure you come in, you know, on budget and it's not, you know, that it's affordable and what they want. I, I know you, I'm sure you hear a lot about this, you know, that we've had inflation, high inflation in the last few years have been, you know, in construction labor it has seemed like it's always been an issue. There were supply shortages for a while. I mean, I talked to a lot of developers and they're always talking about construction costs are still high. They're going higher. You know, we repricing this and it goes up and up. I'm guessing they, they talk to you about that as well. You know, and, and in some of these cases, you know, the deals don't pencil anymore, not just because of construction costs, but a lot having to do with interest rates and sort of what the future market's going to look like. What are you seeing as far as the future of construction pricing and where that's going? Yeah, I mean, good question. I mean, you know, Charlotte is still such a hotbed of, of development, right? Whether it's, it's on the commercial side, whether it's on the hospitality side, whether it's on the multifamily side. And it really depends on the type of construction, right? Are you talking about a steel and concrete structure? Are you talking about a high rise? Are you talking about an adaptive reuse? Are you, are you talking about multifamily and stick build? So yeah, everything is, is, is higher than it was three years ago. I think the pricing is, is leveling off. I think the, the average right now on a, on a per quarter basis is I think two and a half to 3% increase a quarter is what we're, we're seeing and continue to see. From a labor perspective, you know, we're not quite as tight on labor as we, we, we might have been a year ago, but there's still quite a bit of, of challenge with, with regard to, to labor here in the Carolinas. And again, it could be because we're still so busy compared to a lot of areas within the country, which is exciting, right? Lead times and, 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 and supply chain, you know, we're, we're still seeing, you know, sharp increases in things like electrical gear, electrical equipment, HVAC. Curtain wall and glass systems is tough, but everything else is is it's really come back in line uh, to where it was traditionally pre-pandemic. But again, we're still having 
to have these conversations up front. And again, having a good partner that understands the market and the supply chain and your labor shortages to make sure that you're pre-planning that into the front end of the pre-construction period before you actually start construction to minimize the compression on the backside is very important. And again, getting onboarded early enough and having those conversations and explaining why you're ordering, you know, an air conditioning rooftop unit in June for, for, you know, an April next year open goes a long way. And, and, and there's a little bit of learning curve with that, but again, it's, it's just getting on, on the schedule for, for fabrication and, and making sure that your owner understands it. And do you see Swinnerton and folks in your industry, do you see remaining as busy as you have been traditionally, you know, it's some parts of commercial real estate are essentially in recession. I don't know that there are any new office towers being built. There haven't been new ones that have broken ground in Charlotte for more than a year. You know, some of these other parts of commercial real estate have been slower than they have been over the last few years. You could say that, that, that you know, two, three years ago was a little abnormal. Maybe it was too much on the go. But as you're looking into a crystal ball, where do you see commercial real estate going? And I know there are different different segments of it and restaurants, like like you mentioned, still pretty busy for now. But w- what do you think is the outlook for, the, for that industry? What are you seeing? What are you hearing? Yeah. So I actually think it's very positive, right? I mean, it's again, you know, you use the R word and, and certainly as, as interest rates continue to rise and the, the, the equity side of the deals, cause we're also, you know, co-developers on, on a lot of different projects as well. It's challenging and, and things are sliding a bit. Lincoln Harris and their, their legacy union development is continuing. They're in the middle of building five right now. There's talks about building six actually getting started here soon. You've got the, the South End site at the Uptown Cabaret where they're going to do the two towers. They're, they're, they're gearing up there. There's still a tremendous amount of multifamily being built. People are still coming here. So, you know, we've, we've got about four years of backlog to the tune of a quarter of a billion dollars in multifamily that, you know, we're looking at and, and a part of. You've got the exciting component of the River District is finally moving and we've actually signed a deal where... We're the nation's largest mass timber builder, and we've, we've got a handshake agreement out there with, with a developer, and, and we've got another actual mass timber building that we're already standing up out on the coast in Wilmington. So, you know, we're optimistic that it's going to continue. We're going to push through this, and obviously next year we've got a, an election year, which always throws a little bit of a, a, a monkey wrench at things. But I think the Carolinas are going to be, are, are going to be isolated to an extent, and, and we're going to be just fine. All right. So I got to ask you, being in restaurant construction, do you ever watch those restaurant transformation shows where Gordon Ramsay walks <laughs> in, he tells them their soup is terrible, that, you know, that they really screwed up the risotto and they're going to transform the restaurant in two days to something magnificent. Do you ever watch those shows? And what do you think? Uh, I do. I, I, you know, I, I, I'm a fan of everything from barnyard builders, which is the original mass timber to restaurant renovations. It, you know, those are, they're great entertainment. I don't know if I've ever lived something like that in, in my, you know, 25 plus year career. And hopefully I don't, but again, they're in the spirit of, of moving the needle to, to more, you know, positive experience and, you know, smaller entities making better revenues and, you know, providing better services to those communities. So yeah, the entertainment purposes, I love them. But, but you, can you turn how. a restaurant around in two days? Can you re overhaul a restaurant in two days at Swinnerton? If you want, if they want to change out the carpet and put a fresh coat of paint on, for sure, right? But if they're if they're if they're gutting and moving, then no, we'll we'll be as 
we'll be as efficient with the schedule as possible, but two days is, 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 a, is a tall order. Okay. And then I also wanted to point out, Jason, you're one of our inaugural 40 over 40 winners for the Charlotte Ledger, your 2020 class, the COVID class. <laughs> and a lot of that was, I think, through your work with the 24 Foundation, which is a nonprofit that supports cancer research. We're just wondering, you know, we, we have a lot of 40 of our 40 over 40 winners on this podcast, and we always ask them usually at the end, is there one piece of advice that you've learned over the years that you would give to your younger self? Like what is the, do you have any pearls of over 40 wisdom that you might be able to share with our own? Well, so interestingly enough, I celebrated my 50th birthday this year. So let me know when you get to the over 50, but you know, I, I guess just be humble, you know, work, work on humility. I originally was a New York city kid and was a construction professional in New York. And you know, that, that beast is, it'll chew you up pretty good. So you got to be pretty bold and pretty brash. And I think I, I probably could have been a little bit more humble coming through the ranks, but having to do it all over again, I got, I, I probably wouldn't change much. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty proud of this, the track record that I've had. And, and I'm, I'm certainly grateful that in 2007, I relocated from the Northeast down into to the Carolinas and landed in, in Charlotte. And, and it's been a blessing and yeah, just, just remain humble and, 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 and continue to do good work and good things will happen. Well, that's a great piece of advice. I, I appreciate it. That's really all the questions I have. If listeners want to find out more about Swinnerton, where can they go? What can they do? Yeah, sure. So you can find us obviously on, on the internet at www.swinnerton.com. Um, and then you can drill down on the different market segments and we would be under the Southeast tab. And then certainly if they wanted to reach out to me directly, I don't know if you'll have show notes included here or not, Tony, but I can provide my, my direct contact information. And again, I'd be happy to chat with anybody, whether it's about the restaurant and hospitality sectors, or if it's about multifamily or traditional commercial construction, I'm just here to be a resource to the community. Great. Well, Jason, thanks for talking with me. Yeah, Tony, thanks so much for the invite. And I really enjoyed the conversation. Okay, that's a wrap. And to our listeners, thank you for listening. The Charlotte Ledger podcast is produced by Lindsay Banks. You can find out more about The Charlotte Ledger at thecharlotteledger.com. QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com. Queen